Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring hosts Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here is Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 26, being recorded on Thursday, May 11th, 2016. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as always, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason. I hope everything is well with you and yours, and I want to be the first one to congratulate you on making a half year of podcasting. Hey, thanks very much, Scott. I feel like it's even a bigger accomplishment that you put up with me for half a year, so congratulations to you as well. Thanks. It's been a struggle, but I've uh, persevered, and it's kind of proving my grit. I know our listeners are grateful. Yes, uh, and they have. We appreciate their grit as well for hanging in there with us. Um, so, to celebrate the half year anniversary, we have set up a Jason and Scott Facebook page. So, for all of you that are on Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com, and then you go and you search for Jason and Scott Show. Scott has one T that can uh, that can make us a little hard to find. Unfortunately, I, my I, my father apologizes for that. Uh, or if that doesn't work for you, you can use the direct URL, which would be facebook.com slash Jason and Scott. So it's all spelled out Jason and then the word and A and D and then Scott S C O T. And don't forget to like us while, while you're there. And, uh, the other thing is tonight we are going to, we've been watching the stats of who's listening to the podcast. And what we've found is, our deep dive episodes and interviews are very popular. So this week we're going to do a deep dive. Uh, And it's a topic that both Jason and I are really, really passionate about. Uh, In fact, this is a bit of a teaser show because Jason's going to be covering this at shop talk next week in even more detail with a panel. Jason, you want to tell everyone what we're going to talk about? Absolutely, Scott. And I, I want to start by dispelling the rumor that I tricked you into doing ARVR this week so that you would help me do my homework to prepare for the panel next week. That's absolutely not true. Mm, it's a little suspicious, the timing, but, but I'm good with it. We are going to talk this week about all things augmented reality and virtual reality. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite topics. I think it's going to be Pretty interesting, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts. We've never actually – we've both spoken about it, but I don't think we've ever spoken to each other about it. So it's going to be – I look forward to hearing what what about this excites you so much. Um, so to keep it short, uh, instead of saying augmented reality and virtual reality every time, uh, generally in the industry you say AR, VR. Uh, and here's kind of a high level of what we're going to cover. So first, we're going to give uh, everyone some background to make sure we're all on the same page. What, what's driving AR, VR? What's the difference between those things? Um, and uh, you know, why, why now? Why has this suddenly become kind of a hot topic? Then the second piece we're going to cover is go through all the hardware players and just kind of make sure everyone's oriented on what's going on there. There's a lot of news to share there. Um, then we're going to kind of talk about the the different hardware players and some of the experiences that they offer. Uh, and then finally, we're going to land the plane with the podcast. We talk about e-commerce and retail, and we're going to talk about how will AR, VR, and retail you know, intersect and, and what will happen there and what are some of the popular potential use cases that, that you and I foresee happening. So to kick it off, why, why do you like uh, this topic so much, Jason? What's, what fascinates you so much? Yeah, well, Scott, it excites me for a couple of reasons, both sort of long-term and short-term. In the short-term, 
uh, particularly for retail and commerce, I'm actually a lot more excited about AR than I am VR. And so I suspect that may be a slight bone of contention between you and I. We'll have to find out as we go through the topic. But I am very bullish on a lot of the experiences that are available today or in the very near future around augmented reality to help improve shopping experiences. And I think there's there's lots of opportunities for that that have me excited. And then I am very excited about VR, but I'm much more excited about VR in the longer term. So, you know, I'm not sure retail or commerce is really going to be one of the early popular use cases for VR. I'm a lot more bullish on on it as an entertainment vehicle, but I'm absolutely convinced in the long term that it's going to be the dominant entertainment vehicle. And so we're all going to have to learn how to adjust all of our marketing tactics to talk to people that are primarily consuming media via this VR format. Yeah, we'll, we'll all be locked in our basements, just kind of receiving all the events and stimulus we could possibly need through our, our virtual reality set. So it'll It'll be nice. We'll never have to interact with humans and and or leave the house. So it's a it's a dystopian, exciting kind of future for those geeks in the room. Exactly, and that's why we are the absolute perfect two people that take you on a tour. Given that that's pretty much how we live now. Yes, you're in the right place, folks. We're gonna we're gonna take you right along here. Um, the the thing I love about this is the how fast fiction has become reality. The the one of my favorite movies, as you know, I'm a big movie nerd. So uh, one of my top 20 movies is Minority Report. And in there, Tom Cruise does this kind of mind boggling thing where he has a, a glove and he kind of pulls up a user interface in the sky and in the air and starts doing things. Um, that That's kind of one of the first times you really saw this, this kind of conceptualized. And then uh, the Matrix was kind of took it a step further where not only are you in virtual reality, but our entire reality is a virtual reality. And then even more recently, there's been some really cool special effects around the Iron Man movies with Tony Stark, uh, where he does a lot of really cool things with, with augmented reality and virtual reality. So that was kind of my first sample of it. I even remember playing um, back in the eighties, there was these bigger arcades, kind of like a, a, a GameStop uh, or a, a Frankie's and they, or do you guys have uh, what's the one that's like two people's names, Buster and Dave's. Do you guys have those? Dave and Buster's Dave and Buster's. Yes. Um, uh, it used to be there was this one virtual reality game where you would you would put on this giant headset and it was so heavy it had to have like a coil spring so it wouldn't crush your neck and you would shoot this pterodactyl and it was it was kind of amazing for the time but you know that was kind of like the VR so what I think is pretty amazing about this is how fast those those experiences that really basic kind of space invaders experience and then what we saw in the movies that was fiction have become reality um, and. I don't think a lot of people when I when I demo this with people, I don't think they realize how good it is. I think there are everyone I demo it with that that hasn't spent a lot of time with video games and some of that latest technology, they're pretty blown away by this stuff. It's kind of the only thing I've seen that kind of makes people scratch their heads even more than this is 3D printing, but we don't that's that's a topic for another show. So that's what I think is really cool about it is it really is interesting to watch how mind boggling this is to people when they try it out. So let's jump right in, and maybe we should start by giving a little background and talking about why we think now is the right time to really talk about AR and VR. Yeah, why, why do you think we're seeing this kind of explosion happen now? Well, I think that the big thing is that the price point and the technology, uh, the power in the technology has finally hit that sweet spot where we can really create 
good VR experiences. And in my mind, what's really driven that is that a lot of this VR technology is really just a remix of the latest and greatest mobile phone components. And so the huge volumes that are happening in mobile phones are enabling the price points to really drop on some amazingly powerful hardware. And I think the smart engineers have been able to remix a lot of those components to enable VR. Yeah, yeah. to do VR, and going back to my pterodactyl example, this thing was also connected to the equivalent of a, you know, it wasn't a supercomputer, but it also was like not a single PC. It was something like eight Amigas that were kind of networked together just to give it enough juice to give you a, a very pixely pterodactyl flying around your head. So, so to make this work from a hardware standpoint, you need lots of CPU and GPU, so GPU being graphics processing. Today's phones have, you know, 1980s supercomputers, times 10 in them, which is pretty amazing. Uh, and then you also need a really high quality display. And when you get to the kind of that retina quality of display and, and you put it pretty close to your face, which is what all these do, then you can't see pixels, which really kind of helps with that immersion. The other thing is there's a lot of these components that used to be crazy expensive. So for example, the head tracking uh, requires a, a gyroscope and a couple of other components. And those used to be really, really expensive. But you you, you know you know that now, these are all on your phone just so that when you pick up your phone and say, hey, Siri, that it reacts to you or um, or even if for step counting and those kinds of things. So so this kind of Moore's Law has happened that has brought the prices of these components down to very reasonable kind of sub sub $1,000 kind of prices for very high quality components that didn't exist in even the last five years. Yeah, it's amazing. And Scott, in your mind... How fast do these things have to be to really catch on? Are we there yet? Or you know, when do you think we, we get there? One of my favorite charts I talk a lot about is, um, and there's several flavors of this. that I'm sure you've seen several of them. But, but generally, if you look at the adoption of new technology over a broad period of time, like the last 50 years, what, what's happening is, and, and as humans, we're very linear, right? And um, we wake up every day, we have our X number of hours, we go to bed, and that just has happened our whole lives. So when you live a linear life, one of the things that happens is you miss some of these things that are logarithmic. And what you start to see happening when you chart this out is if you look at things like the adoption of the microwave or the color TV, those took 20 years to get to kind of above 80 90% penetration into homes. And then what's interesting is when you look at uh, as as we started to get into cell phones, just general kind of dumb cell phones, not smartphones, then suddenly it went from to kind of 15 years. And then with uh, the advent of the iPhone and smartphones, then you're looking at 10 years. And then these these things have kind of caused even further acceleration. And then you start to look at things like uh, Facebook and, and social media. Uh, and when you really clock that when it started coming out of college, now you're kind of getting into sub-10 years. And then if you just look at things like Uber – so, so, so you have these new platforms out there like like smartphones and then social media on top of that, and that's causing an even further acceleration. And you look at things like Uber, Uber is really like three or four years old, and now there's more Uber drivers than taxis in New York. And an Uber vehicle crosses every road in Manhattan every hour of the day. So just the scale of these things is happening so fast, but as linear creatures, it doesn't feel that fast. 
Um, and I really think that AR VR is one of these things and I kind of put it out there with drones and 3d printing that is going to happen way faster than people are giving it credit for, because, uh, I don't think our minds have caught up to how fast this kind of pace of adoption is happening. And we see this, you and I talk to a lot of retailers and these are retailers that have been around for 150 years, 150 years. And these consumer changes that are happening because of all these, these new technologies, uh, they're, they have this logarithmic problem times 10 because they're used to these very you know decade-long patterns, and now we're looking at two-year patterns. So, so I actually think uh, the forecasts I've seen um, show, and, and as we go through the hardware players, you're going to see if it's a multi-billion-dollar company uh, in, the, in the world of software and hardware, they're going to be a player in this field. And that's a lot of investment in R&D dollars going into this. So the, the forecast I've seen show it being as large as 25 million headsets by 2020. Um, and, and I tend to believe that. I, I think what we don't know and what's hard to predict is the use cases. So I look forward to hearing kind of your thoughts on that. Um, and then just generally, what do you think about the adoption? I, I'm obviously pretty bullish. I tend to agree. I, I think there's two things that make that 25 million feel easily attainable or surpassable to me. I do think the entertainment use cases for this are going to be pretty big. And you look at the number of users on the most popular PC-based video games today, and you know it really would take only a small fraction of those, and I, I recognize there's a significant financial investment, but it would only take a small fraction of those guys to surpass 25 million on the high end. And then when you lump in that there's about a lot of really inexpensive VR, and I'm thinking particularly of like, the Google Cardboard type VR that leverage your mobile phone. And if you include those in there, it's it's almost impossible that we won't surpass that number. I mean, I think the New York Times distributed 300,000 Google Cardboards in one issue of the publication. Yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty interesting. And um, yeah, so that's, and then they, they also gave a bunch to schools, I think, isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of projects. And so, and, you know, those costs are going down and down. I think McDonald's did a, uh, this might have been in Europe, not in the US, but I think McDonald's did a super clever Happy Meal where the actual Happy Meal box refolded into a Google Cardboard. Oh, cool. Yep. So lots of uh, opportunities for big distribution. I think it's definitely the future and that's why it's worth talking about now. But before we get too far, maybe we should just clarify for our listeners what we mean when we're talking about AR and VR. Yeah, so so augmented reality generally means that you are looking through a device. Usually these are um, their headsets, and, and I should back up. So, so there's kind of two models I, I like to think through. There's kind of version one of, of augmented reality, whereas you're usually looking through your phone. So you hold your phone up, and it uses the front camera. You see the front camera, and then as the image flows through your phone, it augments it by putting some kind of graphical element or doing something with what you're looking at. And I think of that as V1 because it's really here today. It's been here for the last three or four years, uh, and since like the iPhone 5, you've had the compute capability to do that, um, and that's largely AR. Then the next generation, uh, kind of V2, let's call it, is augmented reality moves to more of a headset. Google Glass was kind of the first kind of instance of this. You know, I hesitate to call it that, but you know, you could kind of look through the little lens and see the reality and maybe a little overlay or something. Um, but it, it was kind of maybe V1.5. It wasn't near where a lot of these things are going. 
most augmented reality, what you're doing is you're looking through some kind of a headset and you're looking through a lens um, and you can see reality and then it, it paints on top of it. So this, the smartphone, for the ones that we'll talk about, comes out of the equation. VR is where you are in you, – your, your vision is totally occluded. You can't see the real world. And usually there's not even a camera piping the real world through to you. Um, there are some hybrids, but just in general, this is this is what we're looking at. And then now you're wearing a headset and you're looking – everything you look at is in the virtual world. You're, there is no existing reality. If you're in a room, you don't see that room anymore. All you see is the world that's being piped down to you. Uh, and I think of that those things as kind of V2. Okay, I think that makes pretty good sense. Another distinction that we hear talked about a lot is on the VR – uh, folks are starting to talk about what they call mobile VR versus desktop VR. So desktop VR would be all those experiences that have to be tethered to a computer to generate the the graphics. And so I, I think Oculus or Vive would be great examples of desktop VR. And I know we'll talk more about those in a bit. And then mobile VR would be all the VR experiences that leverage your phone as the video display. And so the Samsung uh, Gear VR or Google Cardboard would be good examples of mobile VR. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that if, you know, to need a desktop today, it's going to be a, a some pretty serious compute power that you're going to need. And um, the two you mentioned definitely are, are kind of tethered to a desktop uh, to some degree. They're, they're, you can get Oculus off the desktop, but uh, it, you know, it is pretty interesting to kind of think about that because obviously you're not nearly as mobile if you're kind of tugging along a desktop with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, to some perspective on how much power is required, you know, there are a lot of Apple users that are really disgruntled that most of these uh, experiences are not compatible with Apple hardware today. And one of the one of the Oculus developers, like flat out, came out and said, "Hey, we'll totally support Apple as soon as they make some decent hardware that can support this." Yeah, you mean like the the MacBooks can't keep up? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a lot of it is um, also being driven by the the graphic processing folks. Like Nvidia is really big into this, and and they they've started to the latest chipsets are really kind of becoming optimized for these kind of applications. Um, and and uh, I know so so I'm a computer engineering person, and, and what's amazing to me is the amount of complexity in these things. So so think about one of these, uh, and I'll just pick an augmented reality one. So so let's say you're looking at your your wall, and you want to just kind of paint a scene on that wall. Um, even the V1 stuff is pretty amazing. What you have to do is in real time, you have to be able to map the room that someone's looking at. And that, that's a non-trivial episode you know, problem because frequently you're, you're getting just two-dimensional data from that scene. So you have to figure out how do you get kind of either approximate 3D data or, or, you know, or actually get 3D data from the physical room you're in, then you've got to figure out in real time, what am I going to paint where, how do I get the size right? Um, and then many of these things are animated, almost kind of Pixar like. And what's amazing about that is, you know, as re- recently as eight, maybe five years ago, Pixar would kind of do these renders and they would say, all right, I'm going to move this character five inches from point A to point B. And then the computer would just sit there, you know, massive server farms would sit there and render this kind of realistic animation for days and generate terabytes worth of data. Uh, Now what we're seeing is the compute power and the algorithms have gotten to the point where when you look through these AR and, and VR scenarios, these animations are happening in real time and interacting with you and things like that. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing the compute power, the um, the 
the algorithms to be able to kind of get the 3D world, create it, and then have the animations and things that you're looking at happen inside of that. Know where you are, know where you're looking. Um, and then another area that's really fascinating to me, and I've seen several talks on this, is the 3D sound is pretty amazing because to to pull you into these immersive worlds, they to fake, to fool the human brain, one of the best things to do is to um, have these sound sources that that are much more realistic. So that if you walk by a waterfall or something, as you walk by, you get that kind of Doppler effect. That, you know, let's say you're looking at it and it goes by your right. You really want to kind of hear that happen, and it's part of this immersion that happens. And there's there's tons of companies and technology just in in figuring that out. Um, and in in fact, there's there's a dearth of experts on some of these things because. Um, you know, there's there's just hasn't been a lot of need for people that are really into 3D sound. So a lot of them come from the gaming world, uh, and they they there's not a ton of people that are expert at solving some of these problems. Yeah. So now that we've got all the hardware power we need to really make this stuff happen, let's jump into some of the key hardware that folks should know about that's enabling those experiences right now. Yeah, and it, it probably makes sense to start with augmented reality because there's um, there's more players in virtual reality, so we can kind of knock these out. Um, so, so again, using this kind of metaphor of V2, uh, this kind of next-gen side, uh, the, the first one – and this surprised a lot of people. And uh, the first indication they were up to something was this company acquired Minecraft. And I know you have a, a very young son. Um, I have a nine-year-old daughter. And for anyone listening that has someone in the kind of age – six to 12, they probably know all about Minecraft. It's kind of this little 3d Lego world and it's a simulator and you can build stuff. It's, it's, it's awesome for kids and, and, and uh, we could probably spend a whole show on it. Uh, but this company bought them for two and a half billion dollars. And this is a company that, that they effectively had, I think a hundred million dollars of revenue. Um, so that was a really nice outcome for them. Um, and everyone was kind of scratching their head. Why did they do this? And then they announced, and it really blew everyone's mind that they were working on this. No one had any idea. They announced that they were working on an augmented reality headset. And this one used um, holographs. And uh, most people probably haven't guessed the company now, unless they're they're pretty geeky about this. It's Microsoft. So this, this totally surprised everyone because Microsoft – Missed the phone world, um, you know, almost entirely with mobile phones. Um, they had kind of a, a bad acquisition with Nokia. They had to unwind to some degree, and no one really realized they would be working on this. And, and a lot of people were skeptical. But as as Hololens has come out, um, it has really blown folks away. So, so this is um, it's still very early days for this, and they just put out their developer edition. It is relatively expensive. It's about three thousand dollars. Um, but the way this one works is you you wear a headset and it looks kind of like a very heavy pair of um, well it wraps around your head it has uh, sound in it um, and it it looks like pretty thick glasses um, and it has effectively a connect mounted on the front and in the computing piece I was talking about how do you get the 3D world that's what they do they kind of you have a connect effectively on your forehead and you bounce beams out and that's how they get the 3d world and you manipulate it very minority report by waving your hand in front. And then the aha moment is in one of the first demos, they kind of said, look, you can play Minecraft and, and these things are holograms, which means effectively um, as you look at a room through the AR, you can put a hologram on the wall. And then as you walk through the room that stays there and you can walk around the hologram and look at it from all three dimensions. So in this demo, they they take Minecraft and they create a little TV and they put it on the wall and they're watching Minecraft, another player play Minecraft. And then they say, build a world. And it actually takes that model and puts it right into the AR scenario. So so 
pretty impressive, and uh, Microsoft has the HoloLens product. The other one that, that I find really fascinating is Magic Leap, um, and um, I'll let you kind of go through that one. Magic Leap is an interesting one to describe. First of all, I would certainly call it augmented reality. They don't like to use any of the traditional labels, and I think from a marketing perspective, they're trying to just create their own branded thing. So they like to call it mixed reality. And essentially, the technology that they're developing is a technology that takes light and projects that light into the iris of your eye. And they're able to blend the light that your eye gets from the real scene in front of you with the artificial light that they're generating so accurately that what your eye perceives are both things from the real world and things that are generated from their display system. And so it's this sort of mixed reality of computer images and real world images that you see at the same time. And like a lot of VR tech, it becomes really hard to show people what the experience is without having them wear or try on the experience. So early on, they released these PR photos that would show things like a baby elephant inside of a little girl's hand. And the implication was that a little girl was looking at her own hands, but the baby elephant was this, this computer generated image. And later they showed like flying elephants and, and whales jumping out of scenes and things like that. And those images were all faked because again, there's no way in a, on a, on a website or in a PowerPoint presentation to truly have someone experience the live uh, VR from their particular technology. But the reason that these guys are on everyone's radar is because they've never done a public demo yet, and yet they've raised a phenomenal amount of money. So they've now raised something like $1.4 billion, including $500 million from Google. I think they have an investment from Alibaba. Um, I think a number of other uh, notable folks have, have invested in the company. They have like a $4.5 billion valuation, so they're a, a bona fide unicorn. And no, uh, the public has never actually seen the, the technology, and so most of us are having to take the company's word for how cool this stuff is. Now, I can tell you, I have talked to some people that have visited their lab and actually been able to experience it, and what they've told me is, in a, a set of equipment the size of a room with very precise, precise positioning of where you have to stand and where you have to look, the experience they're able to achieve is is utterly amazing. And so, you know, at this point, what sounds like the the hurdle that Magic Leap has to get over is to take that room full of equipment and make it small enough or wearable enough that you could have this this experience more at a consumer level. And of course, as you described earlier, you know, things that used to took, take a room full of computing power just a few years ago, you know, now fit in the, the palm of all our hands and our smartphones. So it's totally believable that they'll be able to get there. But that's basically uh, the magic leap story is this sort of mixed reality by focusing light into your eye. Yeah. And they have, um, 
in, uh, now you mentioned, it, I don't know if it's real or not. They have this mock-up of a game. That's pretty amazing where, you know, a guy is in a room and aliens start dropping out of the ceiling and he picks up kind of, he holds out his hand and it creates a virtual gun and he starts shooting the aliens and running around the scene. Um, and then not to be outdone shortly after that came out, uh, Microsoft, uh, you know, and they had done already done the Minecraft when I was talking about, they came out with a demo that showed uh, a game called, I think it's robot war or something, robot, attack uh and very similar where you know the the person is looking at a normal room that they'd be sitting in and they can just put aliens in there that shoot at you and you have to dodge around and shoot them and stuff so so it's it's pretty interesting to think about the implications of when you can layer this very thick digital brush over reality what can you create absolutely um so we're going to talk about some of the use cases later but let's change gears and talk about the VR hardware for a second, and I feel like the VR hardware is, you know, what's getting the majority of the the mind share in the the media and press right now. So maybe uh, Scott, what's the the first VR hardware we should talk about? Yeah, the 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 one that really was kind of the shot that heard around the world that kicked all this off was Oculus. Um, and Oculus is the product. Oculus Rift is the company, and it was all started by a Kickstarter campaign. Um, to my knowledge, the most popular uh, Kickstarter campaign ever. Uh, and this was a, an entrepreneur that decided, just like we discussed earlier, that, hey, component costs for these displays and head tracking and whatnot, you, you could actually hack together something um, for under $1,000 now and really you know, bring the cost of this down. Uh, that quickly caught the attention of some famous game developers, like one of the founders of id Software, John Carmack, I think is his name. Um, he joined the team and, and they quickly assembled a, after this Kickstarter campaign, kind of a dream team uh, to put this together. And uh, af- after the Kickstarter, what they did is they shipped the first version, which was called Developer Kit 1 or DK1 in the industry. Um, and that was in 2013. So this is one of those Kickstarters that actually kind of delivered and, and did amazing. And then shortly on the heels of that, they did Developer Kit 2 in 2014. Uh, and then the urban legend goes that you know Mark Zuckerberg, who's the the founder of Facebook, saw a demo of this and said, "I you know I'd really like to buy it." And they're like, "It'll be a couple of years before we're out with a consumer edition." And he's like, "No, I'd like to buy the whole company." So, <laughs> so you know he he um, and then um, you know this is a company with literally near zero revenue, maybe twenty million from the Kickstarter. I, I don't remember what it ended up at, but you know, very small amount. Um, they ended up. Uh, you know, he was so convinced that this off off of the demo that this was going to be the future platform that Facebook acquired Oculus for two billion dollars. Uh, and if you read articles about it, you know, he basically said to the founders, "Look, you're going to have a blank check to spend whatever you need to make this work and commercial for as long as you need it." So uh, it's nice to have funding like that. So so since then, they seem to have accelerated, and uh, the consumer edition is actually shipping now. Uh, and you and I both ordered them, and I, I got my ship notification today, so I'm really excited. I have not played with a uh, consumer edition. Um, I have played with the other developer kits. Um, the cost on this is the retail price is $599. Now, that does require a Oculus-compatible PC. Uh, it won't work with Macintoshes, Mac, MacBooks, or any of the iMacs or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and um, so so be careful. I, I know a lot of people may not. If you don't get a Oculus-certified PC, I think it will degrade the experience. Um, and if you go to Oculus, they'll they'll walk you through the the ones that are certified. The key is getting this latest generation GPU from NVIDIA. Uh, and there's a couple you can kind of 
uh, you're looking at an entry level probably of about 1500 here on a PC. Um, and then you can spend up to 3K if you really want to get the fancy, very high-end graphic cards. Um, and this is one of those few things, and where you spend probably the better the experience will be because this does require quite a bit of compute to do what they're doing. Um, in addition to the headset that you get, um, and it has the display and the head tracking all that, uh, they do have these hand controllers um, that you use. Uh, and the way it works is these things, um, they have tracking in them so that when you're in the virtual world, you can see where your hands are and you can manipulate stuff. And uh, it's it's an important part of the whole virtual reality experience to be able to do that. So that is going to be included. So five ninety nine uh, is the Oculus, and they're shipping now. And then you're going to need at least fifteen hundred bucks. So you're looking at probably two thousand dollars for for this all in. Yep. And on a a side note, is, I think it's also fair to say that that two billion dollar investment from from Facebook really sort of validated the whole industry, right? So that. Mm-hmm. That probably gave cover for a lot of other people to invest in the space and probably accelerated not just the Oculus development, but a lot of VR hardware and software development in the whole industry. Yeah, not, not just cover. I think everyone was like, oh, crap, what if Facebook's right? You know, what if what if smartphones, you know, kind of is, becomes, you know, what happened to desktop computers, smartphones did? What if VR, AR it happens to smartphones? So, so it's... It's not only giving them cover, it's giving them kind of the impetus to get off the dime and invest pretty heavily in this. And that's a perfect segue to the next piece of hardware we wanted to talk about, which is the Samsung Gear VR. When we talked about desktop VR versus mobile VR, the Samsung Gear VR would be a good example of mobile VR. So instead of using a computer with a really fancy graphics chip in it that is generating two discrete images, one that it sends to each eye, the Samsung Gear VR uses the display of your high-res Samsung mobile phone, and it splits that screen in half. So half the pixels on the the screen are dedicated to your right eye and half are dedicated to your left eye, and it uses some optics to refocus each half of the screen into the, the right shape for your eyes. And so all of the electronics you need to make uh, the Gear VR is really in the phone. And then the actual gear hardware ends up just being the mounting device that puts it on your face and in their case some sort of accessory interface so like headphones that send the audio to your ears and some stuff like that and that allows them to if you assume that the customer already owns the phone that allows you to deliver these experiences at a much lower price point so the Samsung Gear VR costs about 100 bucks um and it works with a variety of of Samsung phones and they've actually partnered with Oculus for the software. That's smart for a couple of reasons. They leverage Oculus's expertise in figuring out how to author experiences and deliver content on the device. And I believe it's true that you can create content once that will play in both the latest Oculus consumer hardware and at a lower resolution play in the Samsung Gear. So publish once, use a couple places. Yeah, that's absolutely true. The um, the next one we want to talk about is the HTC Vive. And HTC is uh, typically probably well known as uh, they're either the number two or three Android phone maker in the U.S., probably number four if you start looking globally. So so one of the one of the big makers of handsets for Android um, and uh, they surprised everyone uh, in March of 2015 by saying they were going to jump into this. And I think what surprised everyone was their partner. They've partnered with a company called Steam. And um, if you're a desktop gamer, Steam is is 
become the platform, kind of the app store for desktop gaming. Um, and it's a fascinating company. We don't have time to dig into here into it, but if you if you're interested in company culture, you probably have read an article about Steam because they don't have titles and no org chart or anything like that. So it's a very very strange or you know unique company in how it's run. Um, but they already had this kind of engine for um, distributing and buying. Uh, desktop games. So, so it was interesting because you had this hardware maker kind of partnered with a game kind of distribution company and, and they make games as well. And, you know, this one is squarely kind of going after the console gaming market. So it, it's very much more focused on not kind of a horizontal play, but more towards the gaming vertical. Because of that, it, it's a little bit higher end than the Oculus. So it's seven ninety nine, and that does not include a PC. It also needs a high end PC. They haven't really. Um, they just give you a spec sheet, so they don't have kind of a uh, you know a, a branding kind of thing like Oculus does. But if you were going to get a PC, the Oculus ones would be good to get with the Vive because it does require a very similar kind of set of hardware. So so you can almost view the Oculus ready as HTC ready if, if you want to think about it. This is available now. Um, it is shipping, uh, and they have their own technology that allows them to say they're room scale. And what that means is this one's designed for you to move around a bit. Now, you can't move, you know, you can't go running a 100-yard dash or something with this on your head, but it does come with a, I think, about a 50-foot cord. And the other thing that's interesting is you set up these two uh, sensors and they're they're about the size of a Rubik's cube and you meant you have to mount them um, at least six feet in the air and aim, aim them down. But what that does is it gives it a point of a better point of reference for where you are in this 3D room space. Um, and then when you're gaming, when you're playing first person shooters and stuff, you can move around within this kind of safe zone of a circle. Uh, and that that enables you to have a couple more interesting experiences and not worry about hitting a wall. It also includes a um, some really nice hand controls um, that have sensors in them, and then you can manipulate your environment with it. So they're really big on this kind of branding around room scale as kind of their differentiator and a really big focus on gaming. And, you know, an interesting thing there, I had an opportunity uh, about two years ago to visit this very cool place at Stanford University that they call the Virtual Human Interaction Lab. So VHIL is their sort of acronym. And it's run by this famous researcher in virtual reality, this guy, uh, Dr. Jeremy Bailson. And he's showing off these cool toys that he's got investors at, and, you know, the Stanford Endowment to invest in. He's got these VR headsets you put on that cost him about $45,000 to make. And he's got this room scale room that you go in and you conduct these experiments that can track you around the room. And the room costs like half a million bucks. And two years ago, he's talking about the Oculus Rift in development and this Vive and saying that that hardware will absolutely match all of the hardware he has in his lab and essentially make his complete lab obsolete. And to his credit, he, he was more excited about that than dreading it because he felt like that they were making all kinds of interesting advances when they were one of the only people in the world that could play with this stuff. But they felt like when millions of smart people get access to this stuff, that the pace of evolution will be dramatically faster. The next piece of hardware we wanted to talk about is actually the Sony PlayStation VR. We've talked about how much graphics horsepower needs to be in these PCs to accomplish VR. The current popular game consoles 
actually don't have enough horsepower to, to truly do VR at the resolution of these other devices. And so Sony has really been the first game hardware manufacturer to step up to the plate and say, hey, we're going to make new hardware that has the horsepower to deliver a VR experience. And typically in game consoles, they really like to get to attractive price points. So one of the things they've had to do is kind of strip down some of the nice-to-haves and some of the accessories on all these things and either not have them or sell them separately. So, you know, while the Vive and the Oculus are made with, like, very nice materials and, you know, a lot of padding and leather and stuff, the Sony VR, PlayStation VR is is likely going to be a little more plasticky, and all of those hand controllers and things are going to be accessories that you're going to have to buy on top of the platform. But the Sony PlayStation VR is likely going to be in that sort of, when you put the, the necessary accessories in there, about a $600 all-in solution, which, you know, you compare that to these like six to $800 solutions that you then have to plug into a $1,500 computer, and that compares very favorably. So potentially the Sony PlayStation VR will be one of the, the ways that VR hardware gets democratized into a lot more homes and under a, a lot more families' Christmas trees. And when, when I see pictures of folks using that one, that always reminds me of Cylons from Battlestar Galactica because the, the outside of the unit lights up and has some kind of a light animation on it. It's kind of totally unnecessary because they can't see it, but it looks good when they're demoing it, I guess. Yeah, and is it fair to say that most things remind you of things from Battlestar Galactica? Some things do remind me of Kit, so... Okay. So this is this is more Battlestar Galactica the way it's all set up. Got you. More Starbuck than than uh, David Hasselhoff. Got it. Yes. Yes. So the next piece of hardware we wanted to talk about is almost a stretch to call hardware. And this is the one that we alluded to earlier. This is another mobile VR experience and this is Google Cardboard. So we talked about the Samsung VR Gear. Well, you know, if you dumb that down even more, if you say, "Hey, What's the bare bones uh, that I need to put a smartphone on my face and put a couple of plastic lenses in that to bend the light to each of your eyes? You come up with this Google Cardboard product, and it's it's literally just a mechanical thing with these two uh, plastic lenses in it that allow you to put a variety of smartphones on your face and get a, a mobile VR experience. It doesn't sound exciting when you say put a smartphone on your face. <laughs> it's hard to imagine what could be more exciting than putting a smartphone on your face. But this is a super approachable way to let a large amount of people experience VR. And we've already seen some clever marketing tactics. We, we talked about the New York Times bundling a, a Google Cardboard kit in an edition of the, the, their magazine, their Sunday magazine. Yeah, and, and on the software side, what you do is the cardboard's kind of the easy part but on the software um, there's a couple of things you download an app and uh, it's a jumping off point and it's called google cardboard and from there you can um, they have a couple of kind of little app store like things so you can download some content but then also they have uh, and all this is is a link uh, into youtube uh, and youtube now has a vr section uh, and there's a burgeoning amount of content there uh, where you can kind of see youtubes that have been shot with 360 and what's cool about that is it's kind of you know there's whatever's being filmed is going on and you can just look around that scene um, using the Google cardboard in a 360 degree view. It's pretty amazing. Some of the, the fun ones to do are um, there's some guys that do wing walking on these kind of old biplanes 
Um, there's, you know, tours of the Grand Canyon. And um, you can kind of imagine that if you were, you know, you didn't get the opportunity to travel a lot or whatnot, you can you can kind of go anywhere you want using this pretty inexpensive device. Yep. And Google Cardboard gave way to my favorite version of Google Cardboard, which is a, a version put out by Mattel. It's the latest incarnation of the Viewmaster. So some of you that are Scott and our, I, my age might remember a toy from our childhood. Mattel had this thing called the stereoscopic viewer called the Viewmaster. And it, you bought a little disc that had images in it and you put the disc in the thing and you held it up to your eye and you could see 3D pictures of different things. And so you could get, you know, a disc that had dinosaurs or Mount Rushmore, all these different things. And so Mattel cleverly said, hey, Google Cardboard is kind of the same thing. We're going to make a new plastic Viewmaster that you put your phone in and that supports the Google Cardboard software. And so Mattel sells this hardware. It's like a $30 kit. And they also have published a bunch of high-quality Google Cardboard content that you can buy from Mattel. And there's some like interesting uh, learn geography uh, content and some National Geographic license content and a bunch of cool things that you can get. And you know, to me, it's a little bit of nostalgia from the, the Viewmasters uh, back in the day. It doesn't make that satisfying click and that that kind of shuffle that it they need to they need to kind of add that back in. Yeah, at least the the sound effect that the Viewmaster used to make when you'd you'd pull the trigger to change from one image to the next image to kind of spin that disc around. Ker-chick. Exactly, I remember that sound well. That would be cool. And then along those lines, we are we're seeing more and more rumors that Google likely intends to launch a more significant VR solution than Google Cardboard. I think the the rumors are calling this Android VR, which would be uh, presumably some kind of mobile platform that that leverages the Android OS. Yeah, what would be interesting there is Google has slowly lost control of Android. So, um, you know, their largest licensee is Samsung, who is pretty invested in this thing with their own device. Uh, and partnered with Oculus. And then you also have HTC, which is another one of their largest licensees that's done the Vive. So it kind of remains to be seen who's, you know, and I think this the rumors have pointed to this being kind of a mobile solution. So it's kind of like, all right, if Samsung punches out HTC, you're kind of left with LG and some of the Chinese guys um, and whatnot. And uh, the, the Chinese folks totally, you know, take Android down to the metal and build stuff on top of it. They don't, they don't do any of the standard Google stuff. Um, and then you have Amazon as a large licensee. So it, it, you know, so maybe it'll only be applicable to Nexus phones. So it's gonna be interesting to see, can Google kind of do much here and, and push this kind of, and, and they're a little late to the game when you think about it. these kind of really nice consumer editions are shipping and here they are kind of, you know, maybe going to put a developer kit out next week. We'll, we'll have to see. Maybe they'll surprise us and be pretty far along, but it's going to be interesting to watch this one from a couple angles. Yeah, but that certainly will be one of the things we should uh, pay attention to in the I.O. conference coming up. Oh, yeah. Along those lines, you can imagine all the other big technology giants very likely have to be investing in this technology, right? And one of the indications that we always get is – you know, you scour the job listings and you see all these tech companies hiring people with VR expertise. And then, you know, eventually you see them starting to file patents. And so one company that hasn't announced anything in this space, but that's hard to imagine they're not doing something in that space, is Apple. 
And there are both some VR patents that we've seen Apple file and some hiring that we've seen Apple do. And, of course, the easy speculation at Apple is that some sort of mobile solution would make a lot of sense, given that that's currently their dominant product. Although, who knows, maybe that's the next evolution of Apple TV for Apple. Yeah, the patent I saw was kind of a, it was very kind of Gear VR-like, and it focused on how the phone detects it's about to go into VR mode and that kind of thing. Um, So, you know, that is logical. But if I'm one of these companies, and and I think I just saw that Apple's R&D budget like tripled in the last year and it was already, you know, it's, it's double digit billions. They could be running, you know, they could be doing all three. They could do, be doing mobile VR. They could be doing desktop VR and they could be working on AR. And it wouldn't surprise me if a company, their scale isn't kind of taking a shot at all three. The, the stakes are very, very high on this. And um, yeah, I, I could definitely see them investing on, on kind of a all three approach to kind of make sure they don't lose out here. Yep. Along those lines, there's another company that we don't get to talk about on this podcast very much, but there's a bookseller in Seattle. Oh, wait, we do talk about them a lot. Amazon. And an interesting thing to speculate is what could Amazon be doing in VR? Like Apple, we've seen them hire some VR experts. We've seen them file some patents. And one of the interesting things about the patents that we've seen from them is they seem to have a different take on it. They're talking about building VR into a physical room. So literally like projectors or display technology that you install in your living room to enable a VR experience there. And thematically, that feels very similar to their approach on uh, the intelligent agents, for example, where they put the Alexa and the Echo in the room as opposed to... Um, it being something that you carry around in your mobile phone. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the next thing that Amazon is thinking about conquesting is play-based VR as opposed to device-based VR, if you will. Yeah, that's the one that's most science fiction-y, and I, I really look forward to that. And um, Everyone poo-poos the Fire uh, phone, which you and I are the only two people that own, I think. Um, but the 3D on that is actually pretty good, so you could almost see that some of the technology developed for that could very well be used in an AR or VR kind of a mode. So we'll have to kind of wait for, for to see what, what Amazon springs on folks. Um, so, so this is a good time just to kind of summarize. So we have the eight hardware providers in augmented reality. We have uh, Microsoft HoloLens and then Magic Leap. And then we have the six virtual reality hardware companies, Oculus, Samsung Gear VR, HTC Vive, Sony's PlayStation VR, Google Cardboard, and maybe the Android, and then Apple and Amazon. So that that's eight players, all of which are, are very large, kind of you know, multi-billion dollar companies. Um, which of these have you experienced, and what's your take on kind of the, the different hardware players we've talked about so far? I have gotten to try on both the Oculus and the Vive, and you know, I haven't gotten to do a side-by-side comparison or spend a ton of time with them. From my perspective, the the experience on both of them is similar. The the huge distinction between those two to me is the room scale in the Vive, which allows you to not just look around, but physically move around the room. And I know that likely will be an option to add to the Oculus down the road. But those are the two I've tried on. I haven't personally tried on the HoloLens yet. I haven't got a chance to try the Magic Leap. But I'm going to throw an odd plug in here that you probably weren't expecting. 
I'm excited about all of these technologies, and I think in the in the short run they're all going to be super interesting for entertainment content. But in the short run, I actually think it's some of those boring V1 AR experiences that we talked about at the very beginning of the show that may have the earliest big commerce applications. So what you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about applications. But I just don't want folks to forget about them. Yeah, yeah, and it, they're definitely. Uh, yeah, pretty important to this whole thing and where a lot of the companies are, are you can actually download this stuff and play with it. Um, so, so I've been fortunate and because whenever I tell people that I have this as a hobby, it helps a lot because I've, it helps, it's helped me get on a lot of beta lists and stuff. So, so I started with Oculus. I have the developer kit one and two, um, really enjoyed those, um, actually only had a Mac at the time to use them with. So they're a little bit kind of slow compared to other things. Um, and then here recently, I've been very fortunate. I ordered a, we submitted at ChannelVisor for a HoloLens um, with a Vive, uh, just ordered a commercial Vive and an Oculus. And I, it, the way I ordered them, I thought the Oculus would come first and then the Vive and then who knows about the HoloLens. And actually the HoloLens came first and then the Vive and now I should be getting the Oculus here any day now. Um, and I've, I've had a Gear VR for a while. And it's a really good entry into this if, if you're interested in it. Very low entry point. If you have any Samsung device, it's it's a no-brainer, I think, to get spend the 99 bucks. It does make a big difference versus the cardboard. The problem with the cardboard is it does let a fair amount of light in, which kind of starts to erode the experience. Um, the other thing that Gear gets you is Oculus has spent a lot on this 360-degree sound. So if you get Gear VR and put some noise-canceling headphones on, it, it gets pretty immersive, maybe like 80% immersive, which is pretty cool. Um, and then um, the the one, uh, the Vive is really amazing. So so I was able to set that up, and it, it's the setup on it's pretty sophisticated. It requires a high-end PC. Mounting these cubes right was not trivial uh, and took me a while but it, it was well worth the the payoff the um the three the sound on it is amazing it is extremely immersive it is it is it is very immersive and to the point where um when i i and others have played it uh it's very easy to get quite nauseous with it so you have to be kind of careful they all have roller coaster demos and that's kind of one way to test if this is going to make you nauseous or not not um the one that's probably surprised me the most is we did get a HoloLens, uh, and it is really amazing. So you you can you use hand gestures, so it's got that minority report kind of a UI, which is awesome. And you can see your hands, and you're making these gestures. Um, but just the – it's got a whole Windows 10 PC in it, and – just the amount of stuff you can do, you can just kind of be sitting there and you can go stick a stock chart on the wall, open a browser, and then be playing a game. And as you walk around the room, looking at the normal world, those things are all kind of stuck there. So it, it is pretty amazing, and I definitely definitely recommend, I think as they get quantities on these, they'll be putting them in the Microsoft stores. I definitely definitely recommend people try that. It does help a lot with the nausea problem. Um I found more people have this kind of nausea thing than 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 I do, uh, and uh, it's pretty important. The other thing is uh, I mentioned Minecraft earlier, and they just launched Minecraft um, through the Oculus platform for the Gear VR. And uh, again, that's it's it's an awesome experience. And uh, you know, if your kids like Minecraft, putting them in the world is there's just second. It requires a controller too, so it's about you have about a hundred and thirty dollar investment uh, if you already have a Samsung device. I'd strongly recommend people that are interested in learning more about this and want to spend a little bit more than the cardboard. That's a really good investment to. And if you have kids, um, the other thing I'll, I'll say uh, before we go on is 
um, a lot of adults really kind of struggle with the suspension of disbelief that you have to have in these things. Um, and a lot of people just put it on. They look around like a bird real fast to see how shaky it is, and then they kind of take it off. Kids just like flow right into this world, and um, they they it's you have to kind of yank them out. It's so immersive. So you can definitely see that this next generation, this Generation Z, this is going to be their smartphone, I think, and and they're going to be used to these experiences where they can go plunge right into it in a in a very immersive way. So uh, those are my thoughts on on those experiences. Interesting. I I know one of the things they they felt very strongly at the Stanford Lab was that. It's surprising what low fidelity you actually needed to be immersive. You know, when you just look at a single frame from these things or just to your point, like do the super quick demo, like your brain may not fully embrace that suspension of disbelief and you might not get immersed in the experience, but that pretty low fidelity graphics after a few minutes in the environment was enough to trigger all these psychological impacts as if you were really experiencing these things. So so one of the things that they learned at Stanford was it didn't need to be photorealistic, for example, to trigger someone's phobia uh, if they had a fear of heights and you, you showed them a VR scene that was high up or you know you did some other behavior it just it didn't need to be super realistic and that these hardware you know greatly surpassed that threshold. Yeah, the the sound really makes a huge difference. So definitely recommend if if you play with these things, go ahead and and you know whip out some headphones and put them on it. It it makes a world of difference. Yeah. Now that we've given the listeners a really good overview into the technology that's available and the the platforms that are on the market now, let's spend a little time talking about how these things might apply to commerce and retail. Yeah. To start with, there's several vendors that you know th- this stuff is is tricky enough from a computer science standpoint, most retailers aren't going to have people on staff that can do this. You're, you're looking at people that are familiar with gaming engines like Unity and Epic and and how to deal with this. So um, the first thing is there's a, a couple of vendors out there that have kind of specialized in marrying uh, these levels of experiences to the retail environment. And um, I think the three we want to talk about are Blipper, C-Imagine, and Markzent. And you know more about Blipper, so you take that one. Yes, Blipper is actually going to be one of the panelists in my shop talk next week. And Blipper is a library of software that do two things. It does augmented reality. So it's one of these V1 augmented reality experiences you described. You look through your phone. Your phone uses the camera to see the real scene in front of you. And then they augment that video stream with graphics on the screen, but it blends that AR with image recognition. So their sort of principal demo is that you can aim that smartphone at produce in a store and it will recognize an orange in the video stream, for example, using image recognition. And then it'll augment your video display by showing you the nutrition information for that orange. So it's kind of augmenting what your eye can see on a shopping journey with all this supplemental information uh, that helps you shop. And that was super interesting to me because my first experience with AR might have been the first AR application on the iPhone was back in 2010. And it was this product called Layer that you may remember. It let you load lots of different data sets in and then overlay them over video. So for me personally, that was a database of Starbucks. And you could actually hold your phone up in the real world and point the phone in any direction. 
and it would show you where the nearest Starbucks was in that direction. And so you, it was almost like x-ray vision. You could see the Starbucks through the buildings and see how far it was away. And in my life, being able to find a Starbucks at any moment is a, a super important thing. And so it, it was kind of funny. When I first saw Layer, it immediately occurred to me, oh, my God, this is a game changer for shopping. Like if you think about the ability to do augmented reality on your phone and you add to that the you know red lasers and those things that were out at the time that had price comparison and you add to that image recognition which Amazon had just started playing with in terms of uh, recognizing the the video boxes you say man you put image recognition AR and price comparison together and we're going to be able to walk into a store hold our phone up and the phone's going to recognize every product on the shelf and overlay on that video display the competitive pricing information and the ratings and reviews and all the digital content that we're just getting used to shopping for. Um, and so that was 2010. I actually wrote a blog post about it back then. And now, you know, we fast forward seven years and Blipper is really one of the first first tool sets that's paying off on that possibility that that I saw back then. Cool. And on the other two, um, I always like to be very transparent. I have no relationship with these guys. Um, and what I found in this VR, this augmented reality shopping world is it's very secretive. So you'll find a retailer that's using this stuff and they won't, they won't, I know who the vendor is many times, but it's not publicly disclosed. So, um, so just to kind of throw it out there, you have, and I don't know the pros and cons of these, these guys. So everyone will have to kind of check them out. But, but essentially these are companies that you go to them and you say, Hey, I'm retail geek and I want to build a widget into my mobile app that does a cool AR kind of a thing. Um, and the first one is Markcent and it's markcentlabs.com and the other one is C Imagine. They both have generic demos on their site. So they'll show you, you know, hey, here's a cool example widget where we take some furniture and change the color or um, we take your living room and drop a desk into it and the consumer can twirl it around and stuff. Um, because it's so secretive who's working with who, it is kind of a little bit hard to figure out. They don't have a lot of case studies, but you know, I, I can tell you these companies are being used by a lot of the, the case studies that, that you and I will go through. So if you are a retailer and you're interested in, in adding this kind of functionality, um, those are the three kind of vendors that, that we hear brought up quite a bit. So now let's transition to the most important part. Let's talk about some of the different case studies for AR and VR in a retail context. So the first use case I wanted to talk about is one that I believe is one of the earliest commercially viable use cases for all this stuff. And it's one that's that's out there in real today. And that's using VR to help design store environments before you actually build the store. Building a store is super expensive. It's a shame when you build it and then bring some test customers in and find out that there were things that don't resonate well with those customers or that you should have changed. Very often when you're building a store, you you pay a lot of money to have these like scale models of the store built. But again, you can't put shoppers in those scale models. And so one of the cool things that VR has enabled is these days when you're designing a new store, you're almost certainly going to do it in a 3D design package, and you're going to be able to render it in a VR platform. And so not only can all your stakeholders, all your store management and your architects and you know all the folks that are involved in that store design 
actually get to go in and experience the store design via VR, but you can also bring customers in and you can do focus groups on virtual stores and really, you know, get a good feel for what's going to resonate and not resonate work well with your customers before you have to commit to the huge expense of building a store. So I was involved recently in a new flagship store for T-Mobile and we heavily leveraged virtual reality and we were using the Oculus platform to visualize the various versions of the store before we ultimately built it. And it dramatically improved the end experience, but it also saved us a lot of money and time. Cold War consumers pretty open to seeing the store in that virtual kind of a way. Yeah. And the consumer part is not perfect, right? So obviously, you know, putting on those headsets is not the same. And again, the v- Oculus does not have, or at least the, the ones we had did not have the room scale. So they they couldn't truly experience moving around the space. You know, they, they used a keyboard to move forward and backwards and left and right. But we absolutely get good feedback. And we were actually able to do eye tracking on top of that. So you could, when you were designing displays and you, you know, you're thinking about putting a really expensive video display 12 feet in the air, you could find out whether or not that was going to draw visual attention or whether it wasn't going to be noticed by those shoppers as they walked in and explored the store. Well, I never thought of the eye tracking that kind of ties, uh, you know, a very digital experience to the, the, the brick and mortar world. That's seems like that's the only way to do it. So we did it with a slight clue by having the, the shoppers wear two different products, an eye tracking product that didn't get in the way that had to sit inside of the Oculus. But you could imagine sort of building the eye tracking technology into a commercial version of the Oculus. And that, that could be a interesting opportunity for someone. Cool. So, uh, so store design is kind of one use case that you've seen. What's uh, another example of a use case? So the next one that I think is already upon us, at least at some level, is a lot of what you were calling the AR 1.0 experiences. So I'll say augmented reality that's intended to be used out of home and very often augmented reality experiences that are intended specifically to be used in store. So one of the coolest ones is not one that's on your phone. This is a collaboration of Walgreens with Google. And Google has a technology called Project Tango, which is a a 3D uh, rendering technology that can render in in, uh, VR. And then they partnered with a third company called Isle 411, which is a geolocation uh, vendor that have the ability to, to accurately locate a shopper within a store. And so Walgreens launched this pilot where they put hardware on shopping carts. And you can get one of these shopping carts, uh, the pilot store is here in Chicago, and you push the cart around the Walgreens, and on the video display on the handle of the cart, it's showing you a, a video screen of the aisle in front of you. But because it knows exactly where you are, it's augmenting that screen with product content and promotions that are digital uh, that get overlaid. So you can look for a particular product and it'll highlight it on the shelf for you. If you're a member of uh, Walgreens Affinity Program, you can see the pricing and offers for the products you're walking by that are relevant just to you and your, you know, your specific ops, uh, offers and personalization from, from Walgreens. So really true realization of that sort of hypothetical use case that that we talked about earlier from 2010. Um, So that seems like a very interesting use case. 
And then another really popular one right now is it's Sephora. One of the services Sephora offers is you can walk into a Sephora store and you can talk to a cosmetics consultant that will give you an evaluation of your skin and your coloring and recommend particular products and applications for you. And they've now launched a a self-service version of this using AR. So they've partnered with another vendor in this space that'll also be on my panel called Modiface. And they essentially let you take a picture of yourself without makeup and then enable an AR experience. And they accurately identify all the features of your face and they can actually very photorealistically render different makeup styles on your face. And a, a lot of women that maybe aren't comfortable talking to a person and are somewhat embarrassed or, you know, don't don't want that one-on-one consultant are now able to use this AR experience to try different looks in the privacy of their own home or on their own in the store, which is pretty cool. Cool. Another really common use case is a lot of the home furnishings companies and furniture companies are using AR to help you visualize what furniture and art might look like in your home. So IKEA has famously AR-enabled their catalog, so you can actually install the IKEA app, bring your catalog home, and you can open the catalog to any page, put the catalog on the ground where the sofa it would be that you buy, and the phone will recognize that page in the catalog and render that sofa as AR in your living room. So you can see how different, different IKEA furniture looks. There's a lot of the art stores like uh, art.com. I think Wayfair has a version of this. I think a lot of the tile companies have versions where you can aim your AR app at your kitchen and see what different backsplashes will look like or at your living room and see what different art over the the sofa will look like. And uh, one of the vendors that enables a lot of those home visualization experiences is the third company that's going to be on my panel this week, and that's a company called Modsy. Yeah, the, I really like the Home Depot one where you can kind of you know, take a picture of a room and and uh, you, or you hold the phone up and then you can change the paint color. That's always pretty cool to help you. I'm a very visual person and it helps you kind of see what that new paint color is going to look like. Absolutely. So none of those are like technologically revolutionary. I mean, I guess I would argue that the the modiface stuff starts getting pretty advanced because of the image recognition and those things. But those are all really practical experiences that solve real problems for retailers today. So, you know, we talk a lot about, hey, 91% of shopping still happens in stores, but the e-commerce experiences that we focus on have really changed customer expectations. So now we all expect ratings and reviews. We all expect competitive pricing. We all expect much richer product details than are going to be available on the little fact tag in the store when you're shopping. And all of these augmented reality experiences on the shopping cart or on your mobile phone are great ways to take all that digital experience and content that's locked on the internet and unlock it from internet jail and make it available to the 91% of shoppers that are making their purchase decisions inside of a brick and mortar store. So to me, I think we're just going to see more and more of those applications. I think we're going to, customers are going to get more and more used to using them. And that is my sort of near term bet about AR VR experiences that are going to affect retail. I think some of the other things we're going to talk about are exciting, but they're further away. 
Yeah, and as we transition to kind of more of the 2.0 experiences, what are some of the things that you think will happen there? So so now we're talking about the Oculus, the HTC, and, and those kinds of things. Well, so one, one sort of easier thing than using those for actual shopping is using those for marketing experiences around shopping. And so uh, one recent example that I saw just this week is Tom's Shoes. And listeners may be familiar, Tom's has this a buy one, give one program where you buy a pair of shoes from Tom's and part of the proceeds from the that pair of shoes is that they buy a second pair of shoes for a child that can't afford shoes. That's a great model. Like there's all sorts of socially redeeming aspects and it makes the shopper feel better about their purchases and their consumption. But one of the problems is making that experience real for the shopper. And so Tom's has recently released a Oculus VR experience. I think it primarily is probably viewed today on the on the Samsung VR hardware, but that lets you see in virtual reality these kids receiving their their shoes in these you know impoverished uh, parts of countries, and you know you really get to viscerally see how it changes these kids' life and and the experiences it enables and makes you feel a lot better about your overconsumption of Tom shoes. Yeah, one um, one that that is one of the demos that a lot of these guys use for kind of thinking about retail applications. Uh, you talked a lot about like I think last week you went to New York and you saw kind of one of these magic mirrors. So a lot of them have kind of replicated that in the VR. So you go, you look in a virtual mirror, and then you could throw different apparel on you or something. That this is kind of a little bit. This is probably a couple of years out because there's there's some algorithms that are kind of tricky there. Um, that's another kind of uh, interesting kind of thing thing to think through if if you are deep in this virtual reality world why not be able to you know look through products scroll through them kind of minority report style and then look at the the pair of jeans kind of on you and if a lot of them do start to have more of these 3d scanners then you essentially have the pieces you would need to do a, a pretty much a full body scan so, so that's one of the things that's kind of an interesting a little bit further out uh, example one i saw that was interesting one um is in London. There's a company called Topshop, and they uh, they debuted a new line at the New York Fashion Show. And obviously, they're in the UK. So for um, what they did is they they set up I think about ten Oculus Rifts, and then they 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 had some kind of a raffle or an auction uh, for charity. And if you won that, you could actually go to the London store and watch the fashion show live so that someone there was 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 at the fashion show live streaming using a 360-degree camera, uh, and you could live watch the fashion show. And they recorded that experience, and then now other customers can come in and see the fashion show. And it's it's hard until you experience it. It, it's it's very immersive because you can look anywhere while it's happening. So you could look at the reaction of the person next to you and you can, there's no camera pointing you to what's going on. It's just recording a full kind of a sphere of information. Um, and it's, it's very immersive and it's like you're there. So I thought that was interesting, kind of a, Hey, there's these events we participate in as companies. Maybe you sponsor a sports event or maybe you have a NASCAR or maybe you have uh, you know, an extreme sports person, or maybe you do some kind of a fashion event, why not let all of your fans and customers go experience that? So I, I think events is an interesting intersection with retail to think about. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And those are the kind of use cases that you see people talking about the most and demonstrating the most at trade shows. And similar ones, like Dior recently did a, a similar fashion show to the Top Shop one that that's actually uses the Oculus Rift and they 
they make that available in the the store to uh, view the the fashion show. And I know Lowe's has a number of pilot stores where they let you use an Oculus to view a custom kitchen cabinet. So you design the cabinets, and then they let you visualize your new kitchen before you buy it. And while all of those sort of in-store VR experiences seem interesting and sexy, I'm actually not that bullish on them in the short term because I, I feel like they have two tangible problems. Number one, the ROI is pretty tough because it, this is expensive and frankly somewhat fragile hardware. And you know, you're you know a super geek and you figured out how to get it up and running at your house where you're one of only a few users. But you try to run that stuff in a, a a high traffic retail environment, and you know stuff breaks, stuff gets misconfigured. Maintaining it is kind of tricky, and most of this hardware really isn't designed for industrial use yet. It's kind of expensive. Each super expensive headset can only serve one customer at a time, um, so you're spending a lot of money to not reach you know the majority of customers that walk in your store. And then the big problem to me is a human behavior problem. Nobody looks cool in these headsets, and shoppers are not super comfortable not looking cool in front of all their peers, right? So the worst experience is to both feel self-conscious and not be able to see around you and imagine that everyone around you in this store is looking at you and thinks you're a a total nerd. And so I think it's, it's actually, even though they offer a really good experience, it's really hard to get a high percentage of people that walk in a store to be willing to try this stuff. Yeah. Well, I think you you know, speak for yourself when you say you don't look cool in these. I think I look pretty, pretty. You have one of the cool. rare looks that looks just as cool with or without a headset. I will give you that. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm happy to give you that backhanded compliment. The ultimate experience that you see a lot of digital agencies, including mine demo, I feel like is the most far-fetched. And this is shopping inside of the VR environment. Right. And, you know, I'm not excluding the fact that we will one day do that, but actually conducting a transaction in one of these devices is kind of silly right now. You certainly can't pull out your credit card and see it. There's lots of security issues with visualizing the payment inside the device and the, the user interfaces and all these things. Just it's a little clunky and granular to be putting stuff in a cart, be, you know, entering shipping information and you know, doing all the the hard things that we do in e-commerce sites to conduct commerce. And so, you know, most of the demos assume all those problems away and they just go, oh, all your customers will have a mobile wallet and all your customers will have their their shipping information stored. And we know in the real world today that a lot of users don't like to do all those things. So could that be in the distant future that we're actually playing a game in our Oculus Rift and there's a, a commercial in the game and we use that commercial to actually purchase some some real world product. Sure, it's it's possible, but uh, I, I certainly don't think that's going to be one of the early use cases that that helps retailers make money on any of this technology. Yeah, it's it's it, we're we're probably three or four years from that at, at the minimum. The the one the exception I will say is um, one of the pieces of content I find my kids really like is is a tour of anything. Um, so there's a couple of these where you go through kind of a Japanese uh, fish market, or you can go see some kind of a you know maybe the pyramids or something like that. So you could imagine if I was an enthusiast of sacks, and let's say I lived in South Carolina and never been to New York, uh, it would be kind of interesting to be able to do a virtual tour of the store, but it would be more of a captured camera thing than than kind of true animated VR kind of an experience. 
Yep. And I, I still, you know, I don't think the VR is necessarily better than being there in person. So it's, it's unlikely that you're going to say, Hey, I live in the same town as a Starbucks, but it's too much effort to drive to Starbucks. So instead I'm going to throw on my VR headset and simulate being in a, uh, I'm saying Starbucks, but I mean Nordstrom's that I'm going to simulate being in a Nordstrom and buy a bunch of goods from that simulated Nordstrom. I just don't think the technology is there that the VR experience is really going to compete with the physical experience, except in the cases you mentioned where the physical experience isn't available to you because of proximity or geography or something like that. Yeah. And one of the areas it really falls down is um, the sense of touch. And that's where, um, you know, there's this technology called haptic feedback that, that these, these things have very kind of blunt haptic feedback. So the Vive will vibrate at different kind of levels as you get, you know, near something and there, there's a little bit of kind of feedback. Um, but you know, you're not going to be able to feel the, uh, if a cloth is feels like cotton or something like that. But, but I do think that, you know, again, there's so much investment in R and D going on here. I, I know a lot of people are trying to solve this kind of sense of touch problem too. And so it, it's going to be very fascinating and this stuff's going to progress extremely quickly. So stay tuned. Absolutely. But I guess my closing thought would be, you know, when you get that email from your board of directors saying, hey, what's our virtual reality strategy? I would implore you to resist the urge to run out and build some sort of super fancy Oculus Rift demo to put in your stores, right? One day there, there could be some viable niche use cases for those kinds of experiences. But in the short run, I'd way rather see you add image recognition or some sort of practical version of, of uh, augmented reality to the mobile app you undoubtedly built last year when you got the email about mobile apps from your board of directors. Yeah, and I think I think every retailer should have a lab, you know, invest five to ten thousand dollars, get a high end PC, get all the headsets, have this hardware, uh, and just make sure you and everyone in your company is aware of this and, and experiences it because um, you know, there there may be a day when you do need to utilize it um, in either put an app out for it or something. And the more you kind of embrace this technology, the more you'll be ready for that day. Absolutely. And your consumers will be using it for entertainment and content consumption uh, long before they're using it as a dominant shopping mode. But that still is going to fundamentally change consumer expectations. So you should absolutely be on the forefront of understanding what those experiences look like. Yeah, and hopefully this deep dive into AR and VR is serves as a jumping off point for you. Absolutely. And you know, I am happy to announce that we have successfully set the record for the longest episode of the Jason and Scott show. So we clearly are out of time, but I do hope that the uh, you found this deep dive useful and that it potentially helps focus some of your own thoughts about how VR and AR might impact your retail business. And if you did, we'd love to hear about it. If not, we'd like to hear that too. So, you know, as always, we'd, we'd certainly encourage you to write a review on iTunes or don't forget to visit our Facebook page and leave us some feedback there. So until next week, which will likely be from the Shop Talk Show in Las Vegas, I would love to wish everyone a happy commercing. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave a review. 